Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, this is Dr. Chris. You're listening to some of my favorite guests from this year. This is a best of from Loveline on Channel Q. All right, and now we're going to go to our next guest, Dr. James Q. Simmons. Welcome back to the show. Oh, uh, thank you, Chris. Good to see you again. Yeah, happy holidays. We are squarely in the holidays, right? It did like prep up on us like that so fast. So let's talk about it. Holiday travel. Uh, is it safe? What should people think about? I'm, I'm a hardliner. I'm telling everyone, just stay home, please. Uh, what are your thoughts as a medical professional? Oh, so I'm a hardliner, but also a realist. So my official advice is y'all should not have done Thanksgiving. <laughs> I know you traveled for Thanksgiving. I know you went inside people's houses. I know you didn't wear your masks and now we're still seeing numbers, you know, go crazy in certain parts of the country. So I'm sticking to that. I really feel like we all have to be okay with the holidays, not being okay with us, not being the way that we like them. I don't like any non-essential travel. I don't like any non-essential gatherings, um, period in certain parts of the country, but definitely not indoors. And for most of the country, now that it's, you know, we're squarely into the holidays and it's cold, it's really difficult to have gatherings outside. That being said, Chris, I'm also a realist. I know that people are gonna do this and we have very clear evidence that people are doing this. And so there are some things that you can do if you're gonna be one of these people doing this to keep yourself and your loved ones safe. And quickly, just to find the word essential, I think that that might be something that throws people off. So what, what really falls under that heading? Uh, very few people are essential, right? Like essential workers uh, are the people who are keeping our grocery stores open, healthcare workers, et cetera. But that's in the community. There are some individuals where travel is absolutely necessary. So I do say that if there is some sort of emergency in your life and you are otherwise young and healthy, you feel like you're not going to put anyone at risk where you live or where you are traveling to. You also have an opportunity to quarantine. You also have an opportunity to get tested before and after you travel, things like that. And then that travel is essential. It is a, it is a, a family emergency. Someone has died or is dying, something like that. Okay, fine. Then maybe we can talk about that as essential travel. But just going home for Christmas because you really miss, you know, grandma's apple pie. Like grandma can ship you that apple pie and you can stay your butt at home. You do not need to be getting on that plane to go That's anywhere right. for Christmas or New Year's or anything. That pie was never that good anyway. But let's talk about this quickly. <laughs> so I think some people they're comfortable putting themselves at risk. So let's just talk quickly about the fact that a lot of this is also about protecting 
the people around you that you might be willing to, you know, encounter a, a certain level, but you, you know, you bring things home with you. And that's something I was talking to parents about that have children away at college, that it's not mm -hmm. just necessarily within your family unit, but what are you maybe bringing to those around you? There are universities now that are telling kids, if you went home for Thanksgiving, don't come back. Or if you go home for Christmas, don't come back. I think it's really important for people to remember this number. We don't talk about it enough. More than 40% of people who have COVID-19 are asymptomatic. They never know they have it. We have very clear evidence that that asymptomatic spread can be just as spread just as easily from someone who has symptoms. And that's coming from small indoor gatherings. This is generally not coming from businesses. It's generally not coming from the healthcare arena. It's interesting to your point, it's generally not coming from on plane, but people being near each other in airports and people being near each other inside of their homes, not wearing masks, being asymptomatic, not knowing they had it, and then they've spread it to other people. And again, you might be asymptomatic, it might not affect you, you might get sick and be okay, but what about all those other people out there who are going to need to be hospitalized and strain the healthcare system and could potentially die from this? You got to think about other folks. Forty percent is a huge percentage. I was not aware that it's that high, and that's that's quite shocking. And also the concept of uh, we're now looking at what are they calling them long long haulers? Those that have symptoms that are mm -hmm. ongoing and have not really resolved themselves. It's it's really difficult. I have two patients right now that I'm caring for that have been in the hospital for more than seven weeks. We just, thankfully, we have not had to intubate either of these individuals because we know the research is very clear. Our experience is very clear. If we can avoid intubation, it, it can make all the difference in someone's life when they have COVID. But what that does mean sometimes is a much, much, much longer hospitalization. So we have individuals who keep their symptoms. They require, you know, oxygen through high flow nasal cannula or whatever it is in the hospital environment for seven weeks or have two of my patients. So when we talk about straining the healthcare system, it's not necessarily that everyone's coming in immediately dying from this, or they come in, they're a little bit sick and we can send them home. People who need hospital resources are there for minimum 10 days to three weeks at a time. And like you said, some long haulers, a lot more than that. Bam, Dr. James Q. Simmons, thank you so much. Thank you very much, you too, Chris. All right, we're going to go to our first guest, musician Ash. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing really well. Uh, I always start by asking about mental health. How's your mental health doing right now? I feel like, I, honestly, I feel so grateful and lucky. It's I'm, I'm doing pretty well. What kind of self-care have you been doing? You know, I do a lot of work around it pretty pretty consistently. Um, in the mornings, I, I said about an hour of time out every morning of journaling sort of the first thing when I wake up and um and then I read for a little while I sort of don't let the world enter my space for at least the first hour of the day Ash um, I'm just... so proud of you you're probably the first person <laughs> that has said that they do that can I just tell you number one everyone take take some inspiration from that but what an act of self-esteem <laughs> that is for you to give yourself that hour every single day that's beautiful oh well, thanks. It's definitely, I mean, it's just been the way I've done it for, for a really long time. And it's kept me, I think it's kept me really sane and healthy. And, you know, doing what I do, I have the opportunity to constantly be talking to other people and giving my energy and loving on other people. And I have to sort of like, I got to take care of myself first. That's right. In order. Yeah. So. 
And I, I was laughing at a quote of yours because it, it sounds like me. You said, and it's kind of a paraphrase, but you said uh, you were talking about touring, being on tour and self-care. You said, my body's a hot mess and I get sick really easily on tour. I'm one of those people where any colder flu that's going around, I will guarantee you to pick it up. So did you have to work on improving yourself because of the touring? How did that all come together? Yeah, I think I've been on probably, I think it's been a total of seven tours and one was my, my first headline tour. So the very last tour I did was my first headline. And the six tours prior to that as a support act, I got sick every single tour. And I just, I learned that my body just, it's, it really, if you're not careful, it can really suck the life out of you. And so on my headline tour, I was the most, the most aware possible that I could have been. And took the best care of myself. I didn't get sick once and it was the longest tour I've ever done. Um, I think it was like two and a half months long and I didn't get sick once and I was so <laughs> damn proud. Oh my gosh. Don't rub it in. I can't go a full year without picking something up. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I think really it had to do, I just needed to be, I was much more intentional about okay. what I was eating. Um, and I made my like meet and greets with fans before the show so that when I was dead tired after the show, I wasn't, you know, going to hug people when I'm the most maybe vulnerable and empty. Right. And yeah. So yeah. how how's that all changed for you during during quarantine and COVID? It sounds like you get a lot of um, inspiration and energy from being in real time with your fans. So how's that impacted everything? Oh, I mean, it makes me sad. I miss them. <laughs> I miss being out there and on the road. Um, I but I you know as sort of extroverted and bubbly as I can be. I'm, I'm pretty introverted. Um, I gain most of my energy from being alone. Um, so quarantine's been like weirdly good. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, sorry. I can't go to your party because it's COVID. Like, yeah. You can't go to the party because you're busy at home thriving without them. (laughs) I'm thriving. I will take a journal session by myself over a party any day. Well done. Well done. And (laughs) so let's talk about the intersections of mental health and music. Do you, do you see the ways that they interact with each other? And if so, what, what do you think the impact is? Yeah, I think music is an extremely important tool that we can sort of use against or for ourselves. Um, because if you know you're like feeling just the most um, heavy and sad, you can find the playlist to just like sink into it, you know, um, which maybe is exactly what your soul needs for that day. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not one to, to judge or, or pick for you, but um, but music, on the other hand, can be incredibly healing. And uh, yeah, I feel really lucky that this is sort of my my job. I just get to like sit and write and it'd be an incredibly therapeutic experience. Yeah. And that's kind of what I picked up reading some of the interviews you've done. You talked a lot about how authentic you work to be, how a lot of your lyrics are, you know, direct quotes from your journaling. And so what an interesting way to approach music where you're both providing something really healing and transformative and entertaining to others, but it's also you kind of working through and processing your own stuff. You're using them for therapy. That was so, I'm just using, that was so introspective. Yeah. Wow. We got to talk more often. <laughs> um, 
I, yeah, I totally agree with that. I definitely am able to, you know, I think, well, as an artist, we sort of, I feel like in a way our job is to go out into the world and experience it or rather go out into nowhere because we're in quarantine. Um, But it's to, to experience life and then to report back and sort of express how life has shown itself to you and in your own art you know, unique artistic way. And yeah, I think I, I try to do my best at being the most authentic, but that ranges from when I'm super mature. Like I, I wrote a song called Moral of the Story, which is maybe the most mature record I've ever written. But then I just released a song called Save Myself, which is like easily in the anger phase of grieving. That's like maybe arguably not that mature, but like also just working through those emotions and very human and yeah I try to be pretty honest yeah I, I can feel it I, I think if you're uh, astute enough you can sit with someone's music and you can hear how much of them is really present in it and in listening to your mm. music especially preparing to sit with you and interview you I was listening to a lot of it and I could very much feel you in the music and so well done your vulnerability comes through we'll be right back with Ash to talk more about music mental health and her single moral of the story You know, moral of the story, you brought it up, and I think we're all familiar with what that story is about. Is it hard for you to re-experience some of the feelings that are what created that song for you around divorce and healing and loss? Mm. It's a lot to go back into every time you perform. <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I, I have a – there's always a choice I can make when I go into performing the record, and I can either choose – to dig back into all those really excruciating, excruciating feelings, um, which is sometimes exactly, you know, what the audience needs or I need in that moment. Um, and then other times I can sort of detach myself from the song in that it's been adopted by so many people across the world that it's no longer just my own song. Mm. So it takes on a whole new life. So yeah, there's a lot less, um, I mean, I'm still, it's still a very vulnerable song, but at the end of the day, I, I do, I can do some healthy detaching from like remembering the day I signed my divorce papers and you know, all of that. It's interesting because most people's careers, they're not intertwined with our, our true lives or they allow us to leave things behind. But I was thinking about that when I was reading the lyrics to that song is like, wow, this just keeps us very much present in her life. But what a beautiful way to frame it that you get it re-narrated and people that listen to it add their own stuff to it. So it evolves. Mm, yeah. Well, and the fact that, you know, I got out of a really toxic relationship that wasn't good for me, put, put my story in a song. And then now people will come to me and be like, you know, I left my, toxic ex because you know of you know moral of the story really helped me get past that relationship and I mean I I would be a very you know selfish person to think that my music is about me and it's it starts and ends with me you know it has such a bigger story attached to it and and as far as your journey you you talked um, or have talked many times about having come from a very conservative family and we're at a cultural moment right now where everyone's kind of being challenged to be better and beyond how they were raised. Mm. What kind of journey did you go on to get yourself to the place you're at now? Well, do you have an hour and a half? To get we into have, it? we have about two minutes. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. So the abridged version. Well, I don't know. I think life 
um, has, if you're open to it and you ask the universe to teach you, then it'll be like, all right, okay, you asked for it. Let's teach you. And I moved 3,000 miles away from home and went to Berkeley College of Music. And it's an incredibly large um, international school. So there were, I was thrown into tons of different cultures and ways of thinking. And um, I've always wanted to be a really empathetic and loving human. And if that's who I claim to be, then learning about those other cultures and figuring out that there's not one way to see things um, was a really big part of my story and my growth and definitely has made me a better human. Yeah, I don't know if I just answered your question. A hundred, a hundred percent, hundred percent. I think that was a really valuable tip that you gave, which is like, there's so much to gain and learn from being around people that are different from us. And a lot of people tend to swim in a circle of people that just reflect back exactly how they are. And so I like what you're saying, find, find diversity, we grow from it. Oh, I could not agree with that more. Yeah, get outside yourself. Go find people who don't agree with you. Even, even if you feel like you are the one with the open-minded perspective, like get into a loving, honest conversation, try and, you know, disarm each other and really have a real conversation. I mean, that, that five to 15 minute conversation you had will, could change you for the rest of your life, you know? Yeah. Beautifully said. And for those that are trying to be themselves, you know, authenticity is something that's really important to you. It's a thread that I see woven throughout your entire career. What kind of tips do you give to our listeners that are struggling? Because, you know, we live in a world where everything, literally everything is telling you, you need to change. You're not good enough. You know, I'm talking social media, advertising. And so as someone who's in the spotlight, someone who, you know, pushes back on that, what kind of tips or tricks would you give to people? Oh, I, this is so loaded. <laughs> I'm making you think today. I'm making you think. <laughs> you are. I love it. It's so good. Well, I just feel like there's, I mean, again, I could give you a really long list, but at the end of the, I think you have to start with knowing who you are. And if you don't know who you are, then someone will decide for you. Mm. Always. It's so much easier to adopt what someone else thinks of you if you haven't figured it out for yourself first. So, you know, how often are we like in a, you know, adolescent stage of life or even older that you meet someone new and you want to date them and you're like, tell me everything about you. Um, why don't we do that sort of with ourselves and like go on it, take yourself on a date, maybe not out in public since it's COVID, but create a cute environment, make yourself some lasagna at home, light a candle and have a date with yourself and get to know yourself a little bit better and start with really knowing who you are. I think, I think that's a really good place to start. Um, because then you realize, ah, other people will always have opinions about who you should be and what's best for you. But you start realizing that it just because they inherently think they know what's best for you or have opinions about your life doesn't actually inherently mean they're right. You know, oh, I want to highlight so. that, draw a line under it, circle it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I could, I could listen to that or read that every morning. I need the reminder myself. Yeah, but I, I, I want to go back to just highlight this as we, as we kind of wind down is you, every day you start your day with just centering yourself, focusing on yourself, self-care. I've been trying to say that to our listeners to nauseam. Focus on self-care now more than ever. And the <laughs> fact that you take an hour out of your time, pushing back, checking the phone, just journaling, that's stunning to me. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, I, it just is sort of, I'm such a better person and I'm better for other people. You know, it's like, it's maybe the most, it feels selfish at first because you're like, I'm prioritizing myself. 
you know, above everything else in this day. I'm going to me first. But really, it's like, it's kind of the most selfless thing you can do because you end up being, I personally end up being a much kinder, more empathetic, more open-minded, more loving human being when I've sort of taken care of my own stuff first. Um, but yeah, thanks for saying that and encouraging me and all I'm keeping it up. Keep, Keep it up. Going. Doctor's orders, right? Dr. Chris <laughs> says. Uh, congratulations, right. Billboard Hot 100. Moral of the story, we got that plan on all of our stations and save myself. Uh, Ash, thank you so much for everything you're doing and for being a part of our show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Chris. You are lovely, and let's let's chat anytime. Call Absolutely. me anytime. I will do so. Be well. Have a great night. You can catch more of Ash and the rest of our conversation on I'm Listening, our mental health show that airs every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific time on Radio.com. All right, now let's go to our first guest, Sophie Tucker. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Yeah, so I'm, I swear I'm not just saying this because you're on. You are literally my go-to band when I need to either A, get ready to go out and I don't want to go, or B, to get myself to go to the gym. So thank you. Yay! It makes me so happy. That's what we're here for. That is exactly-, <laughs> exactly. Those are the two prime moments of my life where I need a kick in the butt. We got you. So, um, you know, again, the purpose of the show is we want to really destigmatize talking about mental health and looking at interviews that you both have done. I've seen that you've been very transparent in talking about your own mental health struggles, especially when social media has been so misused at times by some people to harm and injure and we're talking about call out culture it's beautiful to see people like yourselves using it as a healing force for our culture thank you yeah it's really not just us i mean i think like it it, it is a it is a culture that i think a lot of people like really resonate with and a lot of people like almost wanted an excuse to to connect in this way and so we're just like, we just feel lucky that it happened to like align with what we were doing. But I feel like this combination of people and like community that is all about uplifting and kindness and like letting everybody be exactly who they are. Like they just wanted some place to find each other and it happened to be, you know, our streams. Yeah, I love that because I think I think that's the word I keep hearing in my office is not just boredom, but also loneliness and a sense of detachment and um, people not necessarily feeling like they're really participating or living in the world. So I can imagine that that's healing. And I have a quote. And uh, I one of you said the, that the big question you kind of asked yourself right now was how do we respond in this moment in time when we feel helpless, sad and angry? So is that about harnessing the gifts you have and using that? Or is that a commentary on just the fact that music has been good for both of you in terms of mental health? I think that was in the context of, of the world right now, including the pandemic, including, uh, you know, justice and rights for everyone and equality and freedom. And uh, I think for us, the best thing we can do, and I don't even know if we knew this at the time, but the best thing we have done, I think, is sort of facilitate this environment where a lot of people who want the same things and who uh, share the same values and the same beliefs in, in you know, equality and uh, just being a good person and, like, simply being a good person and helping other people around you and um it's just you know it really has been just amazing to, to sort of witness and be a part of 
Yeah, that's really beautiful. And do the two of you outside of your own music, do you use other people's music to kind of help you drop deeper into mood or pull you out of one? Definitely. I mean, I not as much like live stream live musics right now, but um, I mean, very differently. I feel like I, I'm more like when I retreat to my room, I like music that like um, consoles me and that is quite like, like a bath. Mm. Like I like music that is uh, like piano music or folk music or very kind of like low key music that... No, not sleeping. I said soothing. Oh, soothing. I love, I'm like not about slow music for <laughs> so wait a second so what do you do then tucker if you're if you're not feeling that great and you're sad you then are the opposite where you'll use something to lift you up not to drop in what would you put on i would put on i mostly listen to house music okay and yeah i would put on something that makes me want to dance it's not even about necessarily the vocals or like the message of the song it's just the energy and the bpm i think for me is what like gets me going. Cause I think I'm more like Sophie where I want the bath, <laughs> the musical bath. <laughs> well, I mean, I also love, like I love house music and I love dance music and obviously that's what we make. So I really enjoy music that like will get me, you know, in like through a workout and also like at a dance party or like with my friends. But I think when I'm alone, I, I do like to kind of, I like how the drop drop in. Yeah, because I think it's easy for some people to make people more of like an archetype and assume that the two of you are always dancing and happy. And so I think it can be shocking, shocking excuse me, when you hear that people have like a total self. Because that kind of like put me back when you said the bath example. Because in my head, you guys are always making dance music and that's all you do. It's all I do. It's <laughs> all you do. It's all you do. Dye your hair and play dance music. Um, so before we let you go, I just wanted to circle back to the whole self-care piece. So you mentioned working out. You mentioned sleep. You mentioned meditation. What are the other forms of self-care that you'd recommend to our listeners who are kind of struggling right now to feel, I guess, just really good about what's happening around them? I mean, I feel like we mentioned a lot of them, but they're, they are really simple. It's like structure. I think it helps me to reach out to friends sometimes that I haven't talked to maybe in a while because I think it's really easy, especially in this time when you know or there, you don't even know when the next time you'll see someone. So it kind of feels pointless almost to, to go catch up with them because there's not that much to catch up on. But for me, just having connection and like talking to friends and feeling that love and like a relationship, whether it's friendship or romantic or family or whatever it is, it always helps me a little bit. It yeah. really does. I, I set a goal for myself of talking to at least three people a day. Some days it's easier, some days it's harder, but I, I very much appreciate that. And also I'm reminding people, especially yourself, Tucker, the dating apps, they're on fire right now. So anyone that wants a little extra love or romance, you can try out the apps. I know, but can you meet up with? So I went on one social distance date kind of thing. Like we went and like sat at the beach sort of distance, but it's, it's kind of weird. It was fine, but you can't really you can't see each other's face. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you got to do a lot of picture exchange ahead of time so you know what the face looks like. It's different. Look, it's different. We're going old school, six feet apart. We're moving very slow, not a lot of affection. But, like, you know, maybe you do some FaceTime dates, you know? Don't leave your house. No, you're right. Maybe the FaceTime dates. I mean, I think it could make for an amazing love story where, you know, you, like, get to know this person on a really deep level without ever even, like, touching them or seeing their face. You know, and then... You go try it, then. <laughs> <laughs> There's a song in that. There is a song in yeah. that. There was. She's so poetic. <laughs> right. Always a poet. Always a poet. Um, listen, congratulations, because House Arrest, number one on the U.S. dance charts. Congrats. That's huge. Thank you. Really exciting. All right. Well, listen, really. guys, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Have a beautiful night. You thank too. you. You thank too. You. Thanks well. for all you do. All right, now we're going to go to our next guest, a licensed therapist, Rebecca Ashida. Rebecca, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm doing great. So at the intro, I was talking about the unfortunate stats and stories that we're hearing about divorces and marital and relational conflict being on the rise. Uh, walk us through that a little bit. Why do you think that's happening? Well, I think that, you know, people are so used to working and being out in the world and also having different ways to cope that they don't have that now. Um, they're trapped with their spouses or significant others and uh it makes it really challenging it's challenging too when you have your kids around 24 7 too um which i am experiencing so no i think i'm glad you called that out because i think some people forget that some are you know have a full household they're sharing computers and internet so they can both work while going to school trying to keep tabs on everyone um talk to us about that just that piece are you working are you seeing some of your clients struggling to figure out how to manage um i guess energy and attention to so many different places at once definitely and I, i'm seeing that more like because i have i have two teens and i have one that's in college now um, and I have a daughter who's 15. It's a lot easier with that because I'm, I don't have to sort of manage her Zoom classes and so forth, but I'm finding that clients who have younger children, who um, maybe like third or fourth graders or even younger, they're trying to work from home, but also manage how, do my, how does my kid do online school and pay attention. Um, that's a real challenge because when you have a teacher who's managing your kids at school, there is a lot more like stimuli and they can, they're friends. And in this way they're trapped and they're looking at a computer. So you have parents that are having to manage like technology too. God you bless know. that. Yeah. God bless that. I'm horrible at that. So let's just talk about for a second that right now, a lot of relationships, uh, marriages and just general relationships are kind of going through a special moment that isn't really standard. Nor normally we are not trapped in some respects with the same person around the clock right? Without any breaks or any distractions. So what are the kinds of tips or perspectives that you're offering people to kind of weather the storm? Well, you know, I think what is really positive I've seen with some clients that have worked is if you can, it's not always possible depending on the space you have, but clients that absolutely like are in separate rooms and kind of go away from each other, you know, if they can um, while they're working and then kind of reconvene at the end of the workday if possible or for lunch, you know, um, having that time together, um, but also time apart, which is important. Um, because I think if you're if you're with someone 24 seven, I think it can be really challenging. Um, a lot of people have different needs for space um, and need time to just kind of be on their own. 
Um, and so you're kind of discovering people's needs and wants in different ways because we are around each other so much now. And I could see where that could be a positive on one hand, right, where you're learning other facets and components of your partner. But then I could also see on the other hand where it's not feeling so great because for some people they might be saying, this isn't really a real scenario. And so whatever's emerging out of it isn't necessarily like what we really need to take seriously. So our, I'm telling some of the clients in my practice, I'm like, be loving towards yourself and your partner. Like, let whatever you can go, let it go. Right, right. Right, right size everything. Amp, turn it down a few notches. I mean, I love that. The right-sizing part is so important right now, and if people can sometimes put some things on the back burner um, for later, um, I think right now everything feels so intensified just with what's going on in our world politically and so forth. I think that we all are experiencing more depression and anxiety than we probably ever have before. Some people who have never experienced depression and anxiety are experiencing it for the first time. And so it's really challenging, along with the fact that people have very different ways of dealing with COVID and their fears of COVID. I've seen that a lot with couples and how they struggle through that. Yeah, beautifully, beautifully said. Uh, people are encountering new facets of mental health issue or struggle that maybe they haven't encountered before. So also, are you telling people, I mean, what I'm saying is, you, you can't unhear or take back some things that you might say, right? So I'm saying be very cautious about what's said, but I'm also saying that we can't take everything that's happening right now as seriously as we might otherwise. Are you also offering that? Definitely. I mean, definitely, definitely. It, 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 I think what's happening too is people don't have the outlets that they used to. I mean, you know, we used to be able to go out with friends and really just like discharge a lot of energy in that way. And even in exercising, people can't go to the gym or go to their favorite exercise class. So we're, we're, there's a lot more pressure inside of all of us, I think at this time and much more difficulty in letting go of things. So we have to find some ways of doing that, even in the situation we're in now. Yeah, it was interesting to see which which people in early dating and relationship chose to kind of move in right away and cohabitate and weather this. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like good luck. You're gonna you're gonna learn a lot about each other real quick. <laughs> yeah, that is for sure. I mean, that is hard, and a lot of people that have gotten puppies, which you know, I did that. So you know, a lot of people getting animals, sort of like as a way to to not stress, and then also think, well, now I can be here all the time, and this is fantastic. But the, I think there's a need for. Um, intimacy and connection and it's hard to have that through zoom you know oh so true right it's it's the best we have and you got to make do but it definitely does not feel the same it's not the same at all because i think as a therapist and i think you would say this as well that there's the energy you get with your clients when you're in the room with them that you feed off of each other and through a screen it's just not the same no, I, you know, because in, in, in a standard room, we're able to move around, look around. But with a computer, you're forced to just have, you know, directed attention consistently. It's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. And it's a little draining more energy wise. I don't know if you've experienced that. You you feel more drained by the end of the day. I, yeah. I'm always exhausted and I always feel very fragile right now. And I'm kind of I just. Love my naps. What's that? I love my naps. Oh, my yeah. Naps. I was never a napper. Thank you so much, Rebecca Sheeta. You can catch more of Tracy Clayton and Rebecca on I'm Listening. All right, now let's go to our first guest, licensed therapist, James Gay. James, welcome to the show. Thank you. So good to be here with you. Yeah, it's nice to have you. Uh, how is your mental health doing right now through all of this? Oh, boy. <laughs> Loaded it's question. Been a rough all right. I think therapists are ourselves feeling it as well. So it's... Uh, 
it's going well. I'm having my own therapy sessions when I need to. I'm doing my own self-care. I'm trying to practice what I preach. And still, it, it can be uh, really difficult at times, right? Yeah, I appreciate that so much. I think some people think we're superhumans and that we don't have our own struggles. And uh, I'm trying to talk more about that, just dealing with my own anxiety right now around everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm even bringing it up in session where I'm like, I too am experiencing in the moment exactly what you're talking about, you know? And so let's let's work through this together. Let's figure out a way that that's going to help you thrive well, a little bit more. And that's kind of our segue. You know, life is happening right now in the midst of a lot of different things. Uh, election time. And I feel like prior oh. elections haven't brought up the topic of mental health in the way that the current one does. So uh, <laughs> kind of hold our hand through that right now. Um, what, what is election stress uh, all about? Oh, boy. It is about feeling increased anxiety and depression and hopelessness and taking it out on the people that are sort of around us at times, right? It's interesting that it's in August, the APA had the Harris poll come out, and they, um, based on the recipients who were interviewed, they said that two-thirds of U.S. adults, that's 68%, say that this election season is having a significant source of stress in their real life. And that's not just one political party or another. That's like literally 76% for Democrats, 67% for Republicans, and 64% for independents. So we're all feeling it. Yeah. And how much of that do you think is amplified by being in a pandemic? Do you think that they're intersecting or you think they're separate? Oh, there's so much that's happening. There's so many unknowns, right? And there's so much that's on the line. And there's a polarization and heightened judgment and... You know, for us to feel like there's so many unknowns in the world, often what we do is try and have a felt sense of control or power over things. And sometimes that can come out as, you know, being critical and judgy and 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 just putting it all out there, trying to control the people around us in ways that are not so helpful oftentimes. Yeah, I know I've had to just monitor my own self and I have to be a little more thoughtful before I hit uh, post, right, on social media. Yeah. Because I've had oh, yeah. some days where I just want to rage. <laughs> uh huh. I have those days too, right there with you. <laughs> so, and, and that's yeah. the thing, you know, we we need to use our anger and our angst in ways that can have a positive impact. So, you know, I know a lot of people are talking about this right now, but part of that for me was literally like the next day. Like, I, I got my ballot in the mail. I filled it out. The next morning, I took it. I put it in the, the box outside West Hollywood Public Library that's designated for it. And I can't tell you how therapeutic that felt in ways that I'd never experienced before. That was the fastest I've ever filled out that thing. <laughs> I love that. And I was the same way. But, you know, just to make complicated matters more complicated, we also have to be aware of whether or not it's a legitimate ballot box. Exactly. Like the stressors exactly. don't stop. <laughs> oh, my word. It's like 2020 is just throwing everything at us. And it's extreme. I think it's important to acknowledge that these are extreme times. There's a global pandemic. There's, you know, the presidential debate was a whole debacle. There's like, you know, there's an intensity of people's experiences and so many unknowns and so many tragedies and so much gaslighting that it's just a lot to contend with. So we need to acknowledge that for ourselves. So what tips do you have for those that are worried about election night itself? Mm -hmm. um, those, you mm -hmm. know, if it goes the way that people are wanting, clearly they'll celebrate. But if it goes the way right. that people are scared, it will. What tips would you give them for that night? 
Well, I mean, first and foremost, you know, as therapists, we're going to say this, we need to feel our feelings. We need to actually allow ourselves to acknowledge our vulnerability and whatever is up, even if it's something that we didn't anticipate, right? To allow ourselves to acknowledge what does exist, to not force it to be something different. And then it's what we do with it that makes the, the biggest difference, right? So if we can have that mindful presence, and then attend to whatever's there in a much more caring way, it might mean that we need to take a break from the news, constant news stream that we get 24 seven. It might need that we need to take a walk around the block. Might be that we need to call a friend or, or you know, get some physical exercise. There's so many different ways that we can try and control with it, what's within our power to control. Um, when so much is outside of our power and control. Yeah, I'm going to be definitely having community and social support ready because, you know, I'm self-isolating. Oh, yeah. So I'm at home on my own. So I'm going to be watching yeah. it by myself. And if it doesn't go well, uh, uh, I'm going to have my friends ready on speed dial, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember in 2016, I literally bawled because I knew what was going to transpire, yeah. right? And, you know, we've experienced that for the last almost four years now. And so, you know, we need to, to have a plan in place to acknowledge the reality of the situation and um, to integrate moments of pleasure or hope or gratitude. It's not about toxic positivity. It's not about ignoring all the stuff that's going on, the racial, social injustices in the world. It's about integrating some amount of positive experiences as much as we can um, it, to include that into our experience for our own mental health and well-being. Yeah, got to center mental health. Well said. Well, right. listen, fingers crossed. We're all going to be prepared, and uh, we'll have you back yes. on. We'll have you back on afterwards <laughs> to talk about post-election aftercare. <laughs> exactly, that's a thing, right? <laughs> it's going to have to be. All right, James Gay. Thank you so much for being yeah. a part of our show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a beautiful it. night. And there it is. Finding control where we can find control. Uh, surrounding yourself with available resources. Like I said, I was serious. I'm going to have my friends available if there are people I need to reach out to. And also, like James said, feel our feelings. Don't shame them. Don't deny them. And don't stuff them. No toxic positivity. Feel your feels. That's how we're going to get through this and uh, know that we're all in it together. All right. Now we're going to go to our first guest, Dr. Milo Dodson. Uh, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me as always. Always a pleasure to see you. I want to start by just throwing some stats out there. 78% of people right now have stress about the future, generalized anxiety, a lot going on. 68% have stress right now based on our political climate. So a lot of intersecting things happening right now. So what do we want to think about when we're trying to accept and manage uh, basically the outcome of the election? Well, above anything and everything else, I really want folks to feel validated and encouraged of having a full range of emotions. I think I saw a meme recently that said, we're in the United States of anxiety for the USA there. And it's so real because whatever our political affiliation or however we voted, there's a lot of angst and uncertainty in terms of the rest of 2020 and the next four years. So I really just want folks to be validated and encouraged around however they're feeling, even if that's excitement or anger. I love that. Beautifully said. We don't want people kind of stuffing how they're feeling, express it. And also, you know, I think there's some things that occur and you can lovingly, you know, sometimes patronizingly say things like, it'll be okay, we'll get through this. But I think there's some periods where you can't necessarily say that because maybe things aren't going to be okay. No, and, and that's the thing, because we want to be able to be kind and we want to be able to encourage folks 
But to be kind and encouraging is actually encouraging folks to feel how they're feeling in that moment. So if they're angry, then really validating, you know what, it's okay that you're angry right now. If you're sad, it's okay that you're sad right now. And not try to make it be more about a future emotion, but really normalize how they're feeling in the present in that moment. And also just, you know, we, we, in our culture will shame certain emotions. So I love your sense of this validation, but also how about the mobilizing and empowering force that anger can be Talk to that uh, a little bit that anger can sometimes, you know, make us feel empowered and drive us forward. Yeah, because the reality is anger can be a, a motivating factor. I mean, a lot of times I think about anger kind of being the bodyguard of sadness. So we want to really, really dig into what's behind that anger. But at the same time, there's a lot of validity because for a lot of folks, especially in marginalized communities, we have a lot to be angry about. And that's okay. We want to make sure that we're using that anger to serve ourselves and, and use it as a motivating factor, like I said. Yeah, because regardless of, of how the election went and, and whether or not the candidate that you wanted was elected, I also want to remind people, still take action. There's still so much change that needs to happen. And the president that you wanted maybe not winning doesn't mean that we should stop pushing forward to the changes that need to be made. No, and, and that's exactly it. Because, And I'm, I'm glad you're actually saying taking action because I, I like to use the acronym of ACT. So you have A for awareness and acknowledgement in terms of how we're feeling. We have C for compassion and connect, making sure that we're being kind to ourselves and in our connections to others. And honestly, T just stands for treat yourself. So whether that's ice cream for me or in a, real, in a very real sense, um, T can also stand for therapy. So in all seriousness, a lot of folks, because we may feel sad about how the election turned out, uh, we want to have that professional support. So in addition to treating yourself, you can treat yourself and make that phone call to start therapy. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. So for those that saw their candidate lose, those of us that were hoping for Biden to win, to create the change we needed, Kamala Harris, phenomenal. Um, what do you say to those that are feeling um, hopeless and helpless? I, I really just want to validate that feeling of hopelessness because I know for a lot of us, myself included, we were rooting for the change that they had been advocating for. How beautiful would it have been to have the first African-American woman vice president in the Oval? Um, but the reality is we can still be the leaders of change that we want in our communities and we can still fight for uh, love and we can still fight for change. Whoever's in the Oval, whoever's in the White House, whatever the administration is looking like, we can still be the leaders in our communities. And now looking at the election results and seeing that Biden and Kamala Harris did win, uh, what do we do other than get out there and celebrate feeling that we're validated? Change is coming. Uh, what do we need to make of that? All the ice cream, all the glory. <laughs> My goodness, it's exciting. It's exciting. So to be honest, I think just like any other big celebratory moment in our lives, we want to really revel in it. We really want to embrace it. And we then want to be able to get to work. Just because they won the election, it doesn't mean that that's the alpha, the omega. It doesn't mean that's the end all be all. There's a lot of work ahead and we have to come together just like we came together to unite to vote for change. And the real work starts now. Thank you so much, Milo Dodson. Coming up next, we'll be sliding into those DMs. 
And now we're gonna go to our next guest, Jay Rodriguez, uh, original Queer Eye, star of Rent, former host of The Morning Beat on uh, Channel Q, and a various, various list of other accomplishments. Welcome back to the show, Jay. Thanks for having me. It's been a minute. I've gotten a haircut since the last time we've chatted. You also somehow look younger than last time we chatted. You're aging backwards. I did. I, I, well I revisited my angel costume in Rent, so that required shaving on oh. Saturday. So, um, you know, just kind of went live as that character. It was kind of fun. Mm. Uh, but, I, yeah, now I'm living with the, the face of a toddler, and it's not great. Uh, well, it'll, it'll get you some dates, just maybe not the kind you want. <laughs> now, uh, congratulations. HBO Max equal... Uh, let's tell us about the show and the role that you're playing on it. Yes, yeah, so it's a four-part miniseries on HBO Max, which, by the way, if people who don't have that can uh, can download the um, the app for free for a week for a trial. So go ahead and just do that so you can watch it. Um, and it's basically a, um, a almost like a documentary, but with reenactments of actual um, people who are are actors that we know and recognize who are trailblazers in their own right in the community. But this goes back to even the late 50s and 1960s. Um, I know we talk a lot about Stonewall as being sort of the beginning of the LGBTQ rights, civil rights movement, but it really spanned uh, a much uh, earlier. Um, and so this, this series kind of highlights th those unsung heroes. And uh, these stories are told many times in their own words. It's actually their audio. Uh, many of us play uh, them. I play Jose Sadia, who is um, the first out gay uh, uh, person to run for office, did not get elected, but um, used his platform as a cabaret star and drag entertainer in San Francisco to not only ignite um, his audiences to get more politically engaged, but also kind of read them here and there. Um, he, he really didn't have any sense of like um, duality when it came to performer and you know being civic minded. He, he merged them all into one, which was a beautiful thing at the time because, and, and bold and progressive because it was actually illegal to dress in drag yes. in 1960. You must have always had two articles of men's clothing on at all times. And not everyone and so, knows that. People were literally right. rounded up and thrown in jail for dressing up in drag, yeah. But Jose was so clever. He made them wear, um, like when the police would come rain the bar, raid the bars, he would have these name tags and he'd make them wear them around his neck saying, I'm a boy, because they were uh, being arrested for allegedly impersonation, you know, of like another gender. So he's like, you're not, you're not fooling anyone. I have the sign here. Um, they found ways around it, but he would end every one of their sessions, every one of the, their evenings with God save us, Nelly Queens, which I get to sing in the, in the show. And when people from that era talk about it now, which is a lot of that footage in this, it brings tears to their eyes and they all remember it in such a profound way. And I think what this show does, Equal and HBO Max, it gives us a greater sense of pride that the work that we're seeing done now stems back decades and decades of people. And if you see the show, the show is so timely. There's a lot of the same cries, the same pleas, the same fight song is a lot of the same language that we're seeing uh, here today on the streets and for people crying out for justice. So is it heartwarming to hearken back and see how far we've come? Or is it the opposite where you're saying, wow, we're still fighting for some of the same things? Um, well, I'm excited for you to see that. I think there's a bunch of people that'll even inspire you and, and the work that you do. Mm. Um, because I know for me, uh, you know, it's inspiring in the sense that I'm excited for a youth uh, the youth of this world to understand a, a culture uh, within the LGBTQ community that uh, spans before a drag race, 
where a lot of kids, you know, grew up in a world where they saw the White House lit up in rainbow colors when um, President Obama was in office and, in, and they had marriage equality. And so now when these things are under attack, for a lot of people, they don't understand how long the fight uh, went on. And to be honest, growing up, I would have felt so empowered uh, knowing that there was this Latinx queer drag entertainer who was uh, navigating their life with a sense of bravery that I could only wish to have an ounce of myself. A hundred percent. So talk more about that, though. Visibility and representation. How important do you think that yeah. is now? I mean, A, I love that yeah. we're bringing history forward because I think a lot of the current generation and mine as well don't know a lot about history of movements, where, especially Where would we movement. have learned? That's right. Like, where would we have learned? And I think, you know, if you were lucky enough to go to a college or have additional schooling, then maybe that would have been, or if you you know, an avid reader, you can certainly pick up a book and discover our history. But in so many instances, these things have been buried. And I don't like to erase our history because then it helps us repeat some of the same, you know, mistakes that, uh, not even mistakes that we made, but the, but the oppression that was put on us in the same language. It's great to actually witness and relive those moments because for me, I got to chat with, Jose Sadio actually established the Imperial Court, which has over 70 chapters worldwide. It's a large uh, LGBTQ plus fundraising organization. And his legacy is great within that community. Called, they call him Queen Mother. And, and I got to speak to his successor, who was floored that this story was finally being told. And I, I'm thankful just to have the small part of this because, you know, these HBO Max is brand new. So, you know, we got paid like, you know, uh, a free lunch and uh, some bus fare, but uh, I I'm kidding, but not really. But but it was a passion. It was a passion project. And when we talk about representation and visibility, oftentimes people say, "Well, you know, they're making this show or that show." But it's very rare that these storytellers are actually LGBTQ who are behind the scenes and empower positions. And so it's really important that I think, and I love that Equal did that. We have an entire, a very diverse crew. We had LGBTQ plus folks on camera and behind the scenes. Wow. Um, and I think, you know, coming from uh, a place of authenticity is the best way to tell a story. Bam. Beautifully said. And like just from a mental health perspective, so important to see who you are, all your different identities reflected back to. And I think we don't always take that into account. And so I have to imagine a lot of people are going to watch this show equal on HBO Max, see you and, and be more aware of just what's possible. Yeah, I think yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about it all the time. I remember years ago when you were, you know, getting your PhD and, and we'd go out somewhere and people would instantly assume, you know, if it was warm out and you're wearing a T-shirt because you have tattoos. Oh, is he a bartender? Is he a personal That's trainer? Right. And it was because they hadn't seen someone that looked like you reflected right. in the work that you do. And um, I think sometimes when you can see when you can see it, you believe you can be it. Um, and so I'm I'm just in great company too. As some of the you know uh, with Samira Wiley, uh, Cheyenne Jackson, Billy Porter is the narrator. Um, there's just a bunch of great talented folks um, who are I think like me just kind of humbled. Like when you're in it. And you're shooting, you're like, oh, that's cool, you leave. And then you see it beautifully edited. And by the way, Chris, you'll get a, Dr. Chris, you'll get a, um, a kick out of this. It's really hard to find footage of LGBTQ plus spaces from 1960 because it was illegal. Yeah. So people were scared, right? <laughs> people hid. So, so, so do you want to take a guess as to where we found the interstitial footage of like, you know, gay men holding hands, walking into a bar, or walking down a street or into a forest? Where? 
in pornography. Oh, yeah. We use the non-sexual oh. parts of the pornography Ain't because in those films, they did document nightlife, wow. the community, what it looked like. Porn I mean, saving honestly, us yet when, again. <laughs> I know. And so it, it was actually really funny uh, because when I found that out, I found that out in a, like a group Zoom interview and the director <laughs> shared. It was really hard to acquire this footage, but so much of it we pieced together. And I think when you when you are in it, it gives you a sense of pride for the ancestors who came before us, who we will likely never meet. Some of us, some of them are no longer with us, but at least it just fire. It just, it just increases the fire that we should all have under our butt for um, making sure that we are advocating for justice for all people and equality for all people and what that actually looks like. Bam. Well said, Jerry Rodriguez and the show equal is on HBO max. Thank you so much for being a part yeah. of our show. Thank you. And Dr. Chris, if anyone wants to find out anything that's going on in my life, all you have to do is follow me on social media. It's J-A-I Rodriguez with a G and a Z. All right. Blue check mark. Have a great night.